So, hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is... Ian Joseph. As always, you can find us on social media. So, on Facebook, if you type in Folk on Falcons, you'll see our page. And on Twitter, it's at Folk on Falcons. Right, so this week we're going to have a review of our almost comeback and then not against London's Irish. Uh, we'll have a quick look ahead to Exeter, a couple of comings and goings, and then a roundup of the national and regional results. So, um, obvious place to start. Defeat to London Irish. Um, we were promising for about half an hour, but either side of that, we weren't. Yeah, I mean, we spoke about, like you say, well, promise, but from promise from the second half against Saracens. And I think we were fairly optimistic, that at least I was, that we could get something from from, you know, from the game at home to Irish. And I think very quickly that, that bubble burst. Again, another slow start. And it was just too much to do. Like, you know, to be 90-0 down against that Irish side, it's just too much. And obviously, we had that great comeback. And look like, even obviously, we had the kick to, to even go ahead. But like you say, either side of that comeback, it was just it was just really disappointing. Um, not just in the performance, but the fact that we got actually nothing from the game as well. We had chances to score four tries and obviously get at least a losing bonus point. And even to get two losing bonus points, really. But um, no, there's, there's it, like I say, disappointing, especially in front of largest crowd of the season. And that's kind of the, the show they put on for them. Um, yeah, very much points dropped there. Um, but I don't think we have much to complain because, like I say, never slow start. We gifted them it. I thought it was a real difference in quality, especially in the backs. They look so dynamic, they're so quick, they're so powerful. We've got a lot of big units in there with good direct runners who make a lot of ground. And at times we sort of struggled to deal with that. Defence kind of went to port a bit, we were missing tackles, and we just couldn't replicate that or answer that in kind, really. We just didn't seem to have the capacity. And if you looked at that back line on paper, apart from, let's say, Pat Penny at fullback, that is a first-choice back line, or at least what they would pick as a first-choice back You know, in the minimum, it's disappointing. At worst, it's worrying. Um, but there was a real golfing class there for me in, in terms of the backs. Um, and yeah, I, like I said, I just thought it was too much to come back from. And their calls you just kind of really showed, especially when they pulled away at the end. Yeah, um, I missed the first two tries, and I turned the turned this Premiership stream on as they were putting the ball down for the third. So I turned on after 15, 20 minutes and thought, oh dear, this is going to be a long afternoon. But actually, I then saw half an hour of pretty good play. Um, it was only at half time, and I realized quite how frustrating it was that we gave them uh, Basham because for the time that he was on the pitch and obviously he scored his try, he looked a very handy player for them. And quite a shame it wasn't wearing the, uh, the black shirt of the Falcons and doing it for us. Um, and then we got, like you say, we got back into it. And I think for me, the, the time when the momentum changed was um, London Irish had a scrum on about the halfway line and they fumbled it at the back. It was an obvious knock-on. Everyone on the pitch saw it apart from the officials. For some reason, the video ref didn't, I still don't quite know when they decided to stick their oar in and when they don't. But um, we just seemed to lose our heads there. I think Moroni was running along shouting at the touch judge for a bit. And then we ended up with a line out after all this in our own five, 10 metre line which we promptly messed up again. Lineups were not good at the weekend. Don't know quite what was happening, but certainly not what they used to be. And then before we knew it, we'd try down, and then another try down, and then we'd gone from being having a kick to go in the lead to being two tries down, and then there was no chance of a bonus point after they got a penalty towards the end, and we ended up with nothing, when we could have easily got a five-point win. I think, well, for me, my sort of key moment was in the second half, we... 
we got it back to 19 all, and then we give away a penalty and they score and go ahead again. You know, captain drive the line now, couple of phases, they're, they're over. And then they do the, exactly the same thing where for the kickoff, they give Casillas a soft penalty. We then obviously get a really good position for the kick in touch, and then we lose the line out. So, you know, there. So obviously that puts them immediately back into a, a good position that they that they tried their best to sort of throw away. And of course, we're then sort of up against it to try and get that back. And the next score becomes absolutely vital, especially with the clock ticking down. And of course, the advantage get the next score. So for me, that was a, a that was a real and a literal head in hands moment when we lost that line out. Because I think you you knew that was a really big moment. You knew that if we could then score again, then right, we're back in it again. You know, let's start again. And you would be confident we would get something from there, especially with the clock running down. But yeah, that, that was a really huge and, and disappointing moment. That I, I personally, for me, I thought that was kind of a killer, really. Yeah, um, I don't think we can blame the officials too much. It was Christoph Ridley who isn't my favourite. However, didn't have a particularly bad game. There's a few poor decisions, but it wasn't particularly one way or the other. But one thing I would say is um, if Falcons commit the number of penalties away at somewhere like Saracens and don't get a man in the sim bin, as London Irish commit on our try line um, to, towards the end of the first half especially, I think they'd be considering themselves incredibly lucky. That's the only bit of criticism I can give to the officials. Apart from that, I don't think there's too much you can blame on them. And overall, I think it's just one of those things where the better team won on the day. They, they played better for 50 minutes, we played better for 30, and scoreline showed it. Well, I mean, it's it, funny because it shows not only what a good side they are, where they are now in the league. I mean, they're up to fifth now, but it shows how quickly things can change for a team if you can get some form going. It also shows how close it can be because they were, you know, in in the reverse fixture of December, they were behind us and they got a five-point win at the GTEC Stadium and they were still behind us in the league. And now, obviously, they're, they're well, well clear of us now. And there's no way we're going to catch them now. But, I mean, that just kind of shows the difference. It just shows what a few wins can, can do because we know how tight it is, especially in that sort of middle-ish part of the league. Um, but, yeah, it, it did, but it's also a reminder of kind of, I guess, how far away we are. Um, because, like I said, I mean, on the pitch, they deserved it. I think there was a clear gap in quality. But at the same time, you know, going back only a few weeks ago, we weren't that far away from them. So... It's a funny one because at the same time, it is very tight. But at the same time, you can see why they, they pull away. And can we replicate that? And I think that's kind of the big question, isn't it? Can we kind of punch above our weight? And but in order to do that, you know, we need to, to get some form going. And uh, we're just not consistent enough. Teams like London Irish can play badly and get bonus points and then go on a good run and really string wings together. And we're just unable to do that. And I think ultimately that's why we're going to lose out on sort of that challenge for those sort of last Hannigan Cup positions. Yeah, you say unable to do that. I actually think that we're pretty close to stringing some wins together. That would have been our fourth or fifth on the bounce at Kingston Park. Obviously, didn't happen. Um, in the game itself, I feel like forwards-wise, if you if you put lineouts to one side, um, reasonably well-matched, both sides conceded a couple of scrum penalties, but in open player field, the forwards were reasonably well matched. I think that the big difference for me on the pitch was, um, firstly, line-outs, as I said, ours weren't good. And it was 50-50 whenever we had a line-out. They were pretty solid with their own ones. The other area of the game was um, we seem to have gone back to our backs not being able to defend properly out wide. Don't quite know what it is, but um, it reminded me very much of a season or so ago where teams would just get the ball 
out a couple of channels quite quickly and they just run through us. Um, I don't know if the structure's gone to pot or people playing different defensive strategies on the pitch, there's a bit of confusion or what, but um, not good. And I'd say that if I was to look at the Falcons team on Saturday, Sunday and not be told differently, I think I could easily believe that Dean Richards was still the coach. It felt very, very similar to last season. It did, yeah. I mean, it's the same failings, isn't it, in terms of all the... It's the same positives and it's the same negatives. It's always the same positives where generally forwards, yeah, pretty good. You know, they got the free tries, all forwards tries. Very rarely do the forwards have a... As a collective, have a bad game. You know, obviously some individuals do better than others, but very rarely collectively do they let anyone down. But it's always been in the backs, hasn't it? You know, we, we've, whether it's defence or whether it's sort of in attack, you know, there's so many times we've been lacking there's so few times, really, where we think, oh, yeah, no, that was really good or, or, that, or that was wonderful bit of play or great interchange or whatever, you know. It, it's also something we're really lacking. And, you know, the point I made before about if you look at the team, that's on paper, our strongest backline. You know, to what extent is it the personnel? You, like I say, you look at that those players, you know, they're decent premiership players. Or is it, is it like you say, the, the coaching, or you alluded to the coaching, the tactics, um, you know, are, are they getting it right? Are they leaning too much on perhaps what they've sort of learned from or what they're used to under, under Dean Richards? And, or, or is it a case they're just unable to implement something else? Because, I don't know, I, I don't want to say beyond them, but it's, it's, it's a big challenge and it's not something they're able to overcome yet. So the results of that is that, you know, we are where we are. And we don't win enough games. And I know you said, obviously, we won quite a few. It would have been four wins on the bounce at home. But we are very inconsistent. I mean, our way record is, is terrible. Um, and I, that obviously links into how we play as well. And it's just not there at the moment. But it's it's the same things all the time. Like, we could have this conversation two seasons ago. We'll probably be saying the same thing most of the time. And that's what they got to look at. And there's still time in this in the season to kind of put that right. There's a few games left um, and try and sort of, I know eighth is probably out of the question now, but to kind of attack things a bit more because at the moment it's just not really working out in the box. Yeah, I'm hoping not to say the same things over and over again, but I almost feel like we do. In the ground, obviously, eight and a half thousand odd, thereabouts. Um, I obviously watched it on the, the TV. Um, did it feel like a... Kingston Park of old, bouncing on a Sunday afternoon? Or or was it kind of a bit of a, a lacklustre, sombre affair when we threw away uh, what could have been a great comeback? It's a very difficult one because I think the bubble was burst very early on, obviously by, by um, London Irish's quick-fire tries. Um, if that wasn't the case, if it was a close first 20 minutes, I think, yeah, it could have been pretty bouncy. I mean, it was it was a big crowd and it was uh, a nice touch with all. So they borrowed some of the flags from Wall Flags from, from St. James's Park, um, which did add a nice touch to it, actually. It'd be nice to see that more regularly. Um, you know, it gives a bit of sort of, I guess, individuality to the ground as well. Um, but yeah, that was nice. But I, I, all these all these little touches did help. And I think just having the general large numbers always helps to just very least it generates a bit more noise. But I think it's hard to kind of really judge because, you know, like I said, the bubble was burst fairly early on. Um, and then I guess it kind of played out as the match did, you know, people bit sort of downbeat when Lundash got a tries and people were getting more excited when there was a comeback and then of course downbeat again when quite clearly the sort of game was over. Um but again I'm not sure if they really kind of played to the crowd's strengths. Um you know we weren't 
that great as an attacking force. And it would have been great to kind of show a bit of kind of attacking, more attacking intent or more attacking ability in the backs. You know, kind of get the ball, particularly to the wingers one. Carreras barely touched the ball. Radwan had a little bit, but again, not much. You know, what an opportunity would have been to really show what they could have done and that they just didn't really do it really. And if, you know, they're the players that do get the crowd off their feet or jumping up and down if they're already standing. And I don't know, they just didn't really do that really. Yeah, um, the crowd there was obviously heavily bolstered by, I think there's a junior rugby festival in the morning. So I assume a load of freebie or cut price tickets were there for children and parents. But do you think the fact it was on a Sunday afternoon without any football clashing with it was also a, a big plus? My, yeah, my opinion is that I think I've always thought Sunday afternoon is the best time for it. Um, I think it's, you know, there, there's no clashes with football, there's no clashes with with adults playing rugby on a Saturday afternoon. I've always thought it's the best time. And I think it, I personally, I think it does help. Now, obviously I don't have all, I'm, all the statistics in front of me. I, you know, I'm not, I don't work in marketing or the ticket office, but the impression I've got over the years is that Sunday afternoon is the best time to, to have it. Yeah. I personally, I think it was bolstered by that. It was a good time. They kind of have a, a perfect storm of, of sort of good timings for that because it's Sunday afternoon and people I think it's generally going to be free then and you know there's no clash for the football or anything else or Six Nations or, or anything like that If we look ahead um, play Exeter this weekend coming up who on Saturday afternoon I believe it is um, they're on the wrong end of absolute hiding the weekend by Harlequins um, there's been a lot in the press about Exeter not being the team that they once were do you think we're playing them at a good time or do you think they're going to have fire in their bellies and be wanting to make amends for what was actually an incredibly bad performance for them at the weekend. Oh, I don't think it's a good time to play Exeter away, to be quite honest. I know we had a, a brilliant result there last season, but um, it's going to be very tough. They, I think they would be furious after that, the pacing they had, and then they're going to want to put it right. And we all know they have the ability to put that right. Yes, they one reason or another, they have underperformed this season, but you know you can't write them off. They're still a very, very good side, and it's going to be incredibly tough. I think to get anything down there, barring that miraculous win last season, our record is dreadful down there. And unfortunately, I don't really see it improving much um, this coming Saturday. But like I say, we are very inconsistent. But on the flip side of that, you know we can put in some good performances, or certainly in patches. Unfortunately, not so much away from home, but you know, we, we can show flashes of what we can do. And I think London Irish are actually better than Exeter. I mean, the table does show that. And I think, you know, if, if we play to our strengths in the forwards, then we, we will score tries. And I think there's no reason why we can't get something from there. I think if we do come away from them losing bonus point, I think that would be a decent result. But, you know, we'll have to see on the day. It's going to be very tough, but I think we can be hopeful uh, that we can perhaps get something from there. Yeah, and um, if we just go on a few days more, um, you say like Sunday fixtures. I'm a, always a fan of a Friday night fixture, and one's kind of popped up in the diary out of nowhere. I'm not sure if I missed the press release at some point earlier in the season, but as in the last few weeks it's been properly promoted that there's a match on Friday night against a Scottish team, another cross-border clash. Yeah, so it's against the Ayrshire Bulls. Who play in the Scottish Premiership, is that right? Yeah, that's right. They're, they're league down from, you know, Edinburgh, Glasgow, isn't it? Um, same league as the Southern Knights were, uh, or in rather, you know, who we played for, for the, in the, the in that Doddy match. Um, I think it was pretty sharp, but I don't recall anyone mentioning it or any publicity about it previously. But yeah, I guess want to maybe get a few bums on seats, fixture gap. I don't know, maybe it's just a chance to play some of the fringe players. Maybe they thought it was a, those, the Doddy game 
was a, a great opportunity for those French players and they want to kind of replicate that, I guess. And uh, I mean, I can see the logic behind it. Um, I'm not sure how big a crowd they'll get um, next Friday, but, uh, you know, I, I don't say any more, but I think it's it's good. You know, it's always a chance to watch more rugby and uh, it's a good run out for those French players and it's a good opportunity for the supporters to have a look at those games, those players as well. And and if it's anything like the Doddy game, which was really, really entertaining against Seven Knights, then sure, why not? You know, what's what's to lose, really? Interesting. I wonder, wonder who's pulling the strings over, over in Scotland. But yeah, should be a good one to, to spectate. So they've obviously chosen that weekend because... Um, for those who look at the general fixture list versus Falcons one, it is the Premiership Cup final that weekend and there is no league game. So obviously a chance to kind of get bums on seats, get some fans come from the turnstiles just to watch a bit of rugby that weekend. Um, so yeah, um, they've obviously decided to fill that up with a game against another Scottish team. Which I think it's good fun, you know, it's nice to have these cross-border tussles, I think. Um, and it'd be great, you know, to see those French players uh, from a supporter's point of view, so you kind of you know get on our radars, and it'd be a good run out for them. So yeah, I think it's a good idea. Um, I, I can't see sort of any downside to having to win win for everyone. Yeah, and um, it's also worth noting. Um, last week's episode, we mentioned that Greg Peterson hadn't had a suspension as of Wednesday night. I think it was. Oh, was it Tuesday? I can't remember. But um, of course, it did come along, and he was told he was a very naughty boy, and he. By accident, tackled someone who got a slight bump on the head. So, therefore, he obviously warrants a, a two or three match ban. The third game being dependent upon whether he goes and does some stupid course for the sake of it to learn how to tackle or tell some children not to tackle too highly. I don't know. But um, if he can't be bothered to go through that, um, it's interesting that this Ayrshire Bulls match counts towards a suspension. So, um, I guess, is there, a, is there a reason to have a, a match every single Wednesday or maybe a Tuesday or Thursday just so you can get players sent off all the time and count them for the expansions? suspensions? Because it's by no means a competitive fixture, this one, against Ayrshire. So, it's interesting that um, when you read a disciplinary hearing, it's uh, tagged on as one of the games that counts towards it. Yeah, I mean, you do wonder if that is... It's 50-50, really. I couldn't tell you if that's an oversight or if it's, that's very deliberate. I, I guess how, how often would teams be doing these sort of, you know, mid-season friendlies? Because it's, it's not by no means obviously an official fixture, is it? It's just the clubs have decided, oh, we'll have a, just a friendly match with the Falkers are particularly using their fringe players. Um, so, yeah, it's a funny one, that. But I wonder sort of when they came up with that ruling, what they thought the circumstances of that would be, or they just sort of didn't occur to them. Um, but I suppose if it didn't occur to them, it's then black and white that you can do that, then so be it. Um, but like you say, I wonder if they can kind of do these tactical friendlies against Scottish teams in the future just to eat up some uh, match bans. But yeah, it's a, it's a curious one, that one. I'll have a good old 30-man brawl and then just play a friendly Monday through to Friday and everyone sits out for five games. I don't know. Don't get those bits of fun anymore like you used to. Um, so if we look at other... Bits and bobs at the Falcons. A um, couple of bits of transfer news this week. Um, the first one, Gary Graham off to France. Should be quite amusing, if anything, trying to hear him do an interview in French at some point. He's off to Carascon, which is, I believe, the same club that George Merrick went to just around, just before Christmas, I think it was. Um, maybe Merrick's pulled some strings or vouched for how good Gary Graham is. But it's a funny one, given where they are second bottom in the pro de in France. So if he's not careful, he might end up playing third division rugby in France next season, which I'm not sure is a step up from the Falcons. And um, I guess they might be strengthening and going for a promotion push next year. But um, I guess the reason is 
he's cashing it towards the end of his career while he's still got a few years left in him. Yeah, well, he's, what, 30 now, so I suppose he's maybe able to get a couple more moves out in his career, perhaps. Um, even in Pro Division 2 in France, there's still a lot of money in that league. And, you know, no doubt he's probably got a bumper deal. I mean, I had a funny because the Falcons sort of tag focus on sort of Instagram page on their own, you know, when they do the posts and had just a very quick look at it. And they are, they are on a bit of sort of spending spree at the moment, not sort of obviously top level, absolutely top draw players, but they are, they have been signing a lot of players recently. So like you say, maybe a bit of a promotion push or if they do stay up kind of, you know, to push up in the league, whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, I can't really say it's kind of out of the blue, out of the, out of the blue in the sense that, you know, we hadn't really heard any rumours, you know, quite sometimes you do hear rumours that generally they kind of come true, but not so much out of the fact that I think they've seen the past year and a half, he has been on the fringes a bit, the Falcons. Um, so I'm not surprised that perhaps from a personal level, he's thought, well, you know, if I'm going to do a move now, it's the time and here's the money for it or whatever. Maybe the club sort of think, well, you know, he, he's quite frankly, I don't think he's a, a nailed on, he's not a nailed on starter like he used to be. And they may think, you know, all things given, you know, let's just kind of get the move done. Um, so in that regard, I don't think it is out of the blue, but I, I think generally will be missed. He's a character and generally he does perform pretty well, but he has, he has sort of been on the fringes a bit more, I think, recently. Um, and, but nevertheless, you know, sort of good luck to him. And like you say, I think it'd be quite interesting to see him play in France. And I don't know, I think it would kind of suit that league as well, you know, with sort of character and he's quite mobile as well. But yeah, I mean, good luck to him. It was a good punch up as well, which they were also fans of in, in that division. Um, also, I guess um, south of France versus northeast England, um, this might get a tan or something, even if it's not the, the level of rugby he's used to, I don't know. But it is quite an exciting league to watch that one. A lot goes on in it. Um, then we've got a, a coming as well. Really confusing, this one. A, a player coming to the Falcons called Thunder. Kind of caught me unawares when I read it. Didn't really know what's going on. Can't say I know too much about this chap, Corbin Thunder. But um, we've got one, he plays hooker. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if it's a bit of a marketing ploy, you know, Thunder, you know, maybe like Jill register him and but whatever, yeah. Um, I mean, what a name for a start. Um, but uh, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know, don't know a thing about him. I'd be lying if I said otherwise. Um, but in, another one from, you know, the demise of Worcester Wasps, in this case, Wasps. Um, and obviously they see something in him, he's available and, and, snatched him up. I mean, you know, 19 year old, whatever you kind of, you know, we'll see what happens. They'll perhaps give him some game time. I don't know if he's going to be sort of more in the academy initially and then, then work his kind of way. Or if they'll just chuck him in the first team straight away. I don't know. Uh, I mean, obviously, like I said, I've never seen him play. I don't know sort of what his level is at the moment, but um, yeah, I mean, obviously they see something in him and we'll see what happens, but yeah, um, one for the future perhaps. Yeah, but I guess he fits the normal um, Wasps and Worcester Fallout, which just seems to be what we're going for this year. But he's, although he's um, South African, he's England qualified through his grandparents. So you never know. He might be one of the future. He doesn't count towards the foreign quota. And um, I guess if we have Blamire and Madison in the squad, also Fletcher coming through, then I guess he's a fourth hooker. Um, not sure where in the pecking order he'll end up being, but at least I guess if he plays, then they can start playing the old song that goes, no, 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 thunder. When he comes on the pitch, crowd will love that one. I'm sure if he gets a few appearances. Well, you never know. Future England, that international could be vying with Lamaya in about five years' time or something for uh, that number two jersey for England. But uh, yeah, I mean, 
I guess it's always good to have squad depth, isn't it? Um, at the very least, you'll have, an, like you say, be entertaining when he comes on. But um, yeah, I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah. Also, it's worth noting that um, Walker got recalled from his loan spell. So he who, I think he featured once or twice, maybe, um, a hooker for us. Um, he's obviously departed. So I guess if we've just had the working number of hookers as four, then we're back to, back to core it. As per usual, we approach the end of an episode and we'll do a quick roundup of the scores from firstly nationally. Um, last week's episode was interesting because all the scores um, had a losing bonus point. This week, um, all the winners had f- four try bonuses and um, apart from one, everybody was absolutely battered. Um, on Friday night, Bristol battered Northampton, 62 points to eight. On Saturday, um, Leicester battered Bath, 48 points to 27, and Harlequins battered Exeter, 40 points to five. And then on Sunday, um, with these batterings, I don't know, like you decide, um, we lost to London Irish, 19 points to 34, and Sale, let's say they battered Saracens because it sounds nice, Sale battered Saracens, 35 points to 24. That leaves the league table as follows. Saracens still out on top of 62 points, followed by Sale with 56. Then we've got the, the clump of teams. So Leicester and Northampton both have 43, London Irish have 41, Harlequins and Gloucester both have 39, Exeter have 38, Bristol have 36, and there's a bit of a gap opened up now with this one, 27, and Bath there at the bottom on 26. Um, if we go around the the regional results, um, on Saturday, Donaldson Madden Park, a strong victory over Plymouth Albion, 33 points to 26. National League 2 North, um, Bladen got pipped by Sheffield Tigers, 26 points to 28. And Tyndale got forced out by Preston Grasshoppers, 40 points to 34. Regional 1 Northeast, another win for Billingham, this time down at Scunthorpe, 17 points to 3. And Annick unfortunately lost to Heath, 40 points to 30, which makes Annick slip down to fourth in that league. In Regional 2 North, there were victories for Percy Parker, Aspatria, Keswick over Carlisle, Middlesbrough over Stockton, Northern lost to Durham City, Penrith gets score of the week with a 100 points to nil victory over Concert. Quite the scoreline. And South Shields Westo uh, lost to Morpeth 62 0, another high scoring match. In Durham Northumberland 1, uh, Darlington lost heavily to Sunderland. Borden and Peter Lee beat Rockcliffe. Uh, Medicals beat Hartlepool Rovers. Novacastrians Hartlepool's abandoned. Don't know what happened there. Pontillon beat Gisborough 12 points at 10. And West Hartlepool beat Acklam. Durham Northumberland Division 2, victory for Bishop Auckland over Sedgefield, Redcar over Winlayton, Wrighton over North Shields, Seam lost to Gateshead, Wallsend beat Barnard Castle, and Whitby beat Ashington. And finally, in Durham Northumberland Division 3, Drovians lost to Yarm, Stocksfield lost to Houghton, Seton Carew lost to Gosforth, and Seghill lost to Darlington Band Park Elizabethan. So there there were four away victories. So... That concludes the roundup, and that concludes the episode. So thank you for listening, everybody. Bye, everyone.